Perhaps there's nothing more precious in life than a newborn baby. Life is sacred and should be protected. But what about abortion and the so-called mercy killing of the sick and elderly? Is it acceptable to take a life that's judged unwanted or hopeless? And the truth of the matter is we have reached a point that we believe life is disposable at any level. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. All through the Bible, we're reminded that God is the creator of life. Not only did he breathe life into Adam, but he's the giver of life to all. Job 33.4 says, The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. Yet it seems that our evolutionary-minded society doesn't view life as sacred, or put much value on it if it concerns unwanted preborn babies or the sick and the dying. Please join us for the next 15 minutes as we discuss the sanctity of life, abortion, and euthanasia. How precious is life? Just ask Gianna Jessen, a nationwide pro-life speaker who, as a baby, miraculously survived being aborted. My biological mother was seven and a half months pregnant when she went to a Planned Parenthood and they advised her that she was too young to have a baby. She went and had this saline abortion, which is a saline salt solution that is injected into the mother's womb. The baby gulps that solution. It burns the baby inside and out. And then she is to deliver a dead baby within 24 hours. And I was that baby that she aborted. But amazingly, Gianna didn't die during that procedure. I survived that abortion by the grace of God, and and I was in that toxic solution that was burning me for approximately 18 hours, and then I was delivered alive, and I'm told that a nurse called an ambulance and had me transferred to a hospital, because I was literally delivered in a Los Angeles County abortion clinic alive. The second miracle in Gianna's birth was the absence of the attending physician. The abortionist was not on duty when I came into the world. Had he been there, he would have ended my life with strangulation, suffocation, or leaving me there to die. It was perfectly legal to strangle or kill a child after it had survived an abortion up until August the 5th, 2002, when President Bush signed into law the Born Alive Infants Protection Act to prevent that from happening anymore, which is just awesome. Carol Everett also knows how precious life is. She used to be co-owner of two abortion clinics, but now is founder and CEO of the Heidi Group, an organization in Texas which provides financial and educational services to crisis pregnancy centers nationwide. Life is created in the image of God, and it's interesting to me that by the time the woman knows she's pregnant, the baby has spoken to her. He has sent a message saying, I am here. And uh, Psalm 139 is clear that we are created in God's image. And we really need to understand that that baby is formed perfectly. Literally has a heartbeat by the 21st day. The little neural tubes are fusing in the first month. And that perfectly formed human being has a purpose. Aside from us, it can be a different blood type, a different sex. It is not an extension of the mother's body. It is a human being should be granted its right to live. There's an ongoing debate among different factions about when life actually begins. Dr. John Wilkie is a physician and president of the International Right to Life Federation. 
He says we should look to Jesus Christ as an example of when life begins. When the angel appeared to Mary, she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Now, what did she conceive? A fertilized egg that then became an embryo that uh, then became a fetus and somewhere along the line became the person of the God-man Jesus? No, I think we're very clear. She conceived of the God-man Jesus in that instant. So if then the human life of Jesus Christ began at the moment of conception, of course our human life began at the moment of conception, And scientific evidence concurs that life indeed begins at conception. You and I and every person listening once was a zygote, a single cell, a fertilized ovum. And from that time on, all we did was grow up. For when we were that first cell on that first day of our life, that one cell was us, a complete physical human body. We were alive, not dead. We were programmed from within for an ongoing self-controlled process of maturity and development. We were sexed, X and Y chromosomes, boys and girls. We certainly were then complete. For nothing was added from the time each of us was a single cell. Nothing except nutrition and oxygen. Now, that's a medical fact. And so when did our human life begin, medically speaking? At the first cell stage. Vision Forum Ministries President Doug Phillips says that those who deny life begins at conception fall into the trap of evolutionary thinking. We need to understand that when we start saying, well, if it's just too small, if it isn't developed enough, then it isn't quite human, we have completely hook, line, and sinker bought into the evolutionary mantra that mantra, which is, well, along the stage of evolution, it just isn't quite where we are, and therefore it isn't as evolved, and therefore the stronger species has the right to take the life of the less strong species. However, this attitude is contrary to Scripture. The Bible teaches that God gives life. The Bible teaches that the strong sacrifice for the weak. The Bible teaches that all life is precious. And the Bible teaches that no life may ever be taken without a legitimate jurisdiction given by God. But no person may take the life of another for convenience. No person may take the life of an innocent, which is what we're talking about with these precious unborn babies. We're constantly hearing arguments supporting abortion on demand as a woman's right to choose. But what about the baby's rights? Gianna Jessen. If abortion is merely about women's rights, then what were mine? There wasn't a, a feminist running to my rescue and saying, Hey! This young woman's rights are being violated. Another thing is, many people run off to have abortions because they're afraid that their unborn child will have some kind of disability or or weakness, heaven forbid. I have cerebral palsy because I was aborted. The lack of oxygen caused my CP that I wouldn't have it otherwise. And it is a gift to me, ladies and gentlemen, listening to this. I want you to hear that because I need Jesus. And I get to lean on him all the way to heaven. He is strong on my behalf, and he makes my weakness strength. And he is everything. And that that is so much greater. And that makes my 
my whole struggle a tremendous joy and not even a struggle, just beauty and life and life more abundant. So why do America and so many other countries accept abortion on demand? Doug Phillips. The simple truth is this. Abortion is a horror. Abortion is a form of torture. Abortion is a form of mass murder. But the reason why most Americans don't deal with the issue of abortion is because they don't have to look at it in the eyes. They don't have to see a baby screaming for its life. They don't have to look in view at the decapitation of a human being. And these are strong words, but this is what's happening to millions and millions of unborn children. And at the heart and soul of this is the evolutionary thinking that something which is not as quote, strongly evolved, not as advanced in the natural selection process, not as developed, doesn't deserve the status of person. Yet, babies are not the only ones who suffer because of abortion. Carol Everett. I personally had a pregnancy termination. It destroyed my life, my child's life, and it affected every life in my sphere of influence, my other children and my husband. And the one thing in my life that I longed to change is that decision. Yet I had another unplanned pregnancy, gave him life, and he and his children now are the joy of my life. There is a long-term consequence to taking the life of another human being. And we often forget how abortion affects the fathers of the babies. Dr. Wilkie. What we have to continually keep in mind is that there's two people involved. Sometimes there's three. The baby, of course, but the mother and I think we should love them both and be concerned with both of them and sometimes be concerned with the father. Sure, he's predatory at times, but some fathers are very sincere and very upset when their partners kill their daughter or son. Gianna Jessen reminds us that the decisions we make have a bigger impact on others than we may realize. We like to try to pretend sometimes in our culture that our choices are only our choices and they only affect us that it's only about us. But this is very untrue. I live every day with the consequence of my biological mother's decision. Every day. She thought it was all about her, but it wasn't. And I forgive her, and I have a gift because of it. But it's never just all about us. What about the so-called mercy killing of people who are suffering and want to die? Isn't it compassionate to relieve someone of terrible suffering? Well, Carol Everett says all life is precious and should be treated as such. The truth of the matter is we have reached a point that we believe life is disposable at any level. Teenagers feeling like their hair looks bad and committing suicide. Euthanasia, suicide, other ungodly death proposals that were never considered humane are now considered an everyday part of our life. And that is a sad state of affairs because if we cannot respect life in the womb, we do not respect it outside the womb. Dr. Wilkie says it's not our job to control life and death because that power belongs to God. Do you think maybe you ought to kill me prematurely because I'm handicapped, because I'm too old, um, and so forth? Who is the author of life? Almighty God. So who then has control over life and death. Almighty God. He began us and he knows and is in control of when our end will come. When our days on earth are over, God has a beautiful home prepared for us. 
The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And as Gianna Jessen explains, God's gift of eternal life is free to all. My adoptive mother told me all about Jesus, and I just knew that he was it. <laughs> I knew that he was God, and, and I just gave my life to him. And it's so simple, just calling out to God and saying, you know, I need you, Jesus, and I need your saving. And we are born into sin. We are we are born into it, and sin separates us from, from God. And the Lord Jesus came to set us free from that sin and free from addiction and free from all these things that we can't get free from on our own. God cares about your pain. I think some people don't want to come to Jesus because they don't think He cares about their pain. But I just want to say that He does. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.